Hello and welcome back to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valine Cawhorn and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, welcome back to this week's episode. I think we are 148, if I remember correctly, um, which means that 150 is only two weeks away. Um, So I can count. Um, But last week we did an introduction of myself um, and it was... It was kind of fun to reflect and and um, share a little bit about about myself and what I've been up to. So this week we're going to dive into Miss Catherine's life a little bit and um, and hear from her and give give an introduction to her. Um, we're still getting quite a few new followers and listeners, and so um, you know reintroducing ourselves. And we've honestly since we've done this, we've we've been up to quite a bit, um, and our lives have changed. So. Catherine, are you are you ready to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. I made you do it last week, so I guess turnabout's fair play. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as you all know, I am Catherine. <laughs> um, you know, throwing it way back to the beginning, I grew up on a dairy farm in Utah. Um, loved it. It was wonderful. We milked about 2,000 cows at the time. Um, now my family milks about 5,000 in our uh, milk market has changed. We're in a pretty cool situation um, with a direct um, direct shipping to a processor, and that's worked out really, really well for our farm and for the processor. Um, I was involved in 4-H and FFA. I was the FFA nerd. Um, I served in lots of different leadership positions. I showed cows growing up. I grew my own registered herd. Um, I love cows so much that I... Um, went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo on a dairy judging scholarship. I studied dairy science there. And then I finished my degree at Utah State on dairy science and agricultural leadership with a minor in political science, um, which seems like a strange combination, but I have always been fascinated by the way um, policy is made and especially how much policy is made um, by people on Capitol Hill who have no understanding of what goes on in agriculture, who are far removed from production agriculture, um, you know, and maybe hear a soundbite and decide to take policy and regulatory action um, from a very small amount of information. So that's always fascinated me. Um, that's something that I've dipped my toe into a couple of times. I've done some work on Capitol Hill in Utah and Colorado, and um, that's something that I still keep a pulse on today and, you know, hope to be able to um, to do, do some more work with that in the future. And just as an aside to that, uh, my dad has told me more than once that he wishes, rather than my interest in politics, that I've been a truck driver. <laughs> Would that benefit him more? Is that what he's... Uh... <laughs> probably, and he probably thinks it's a more honorable career. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say he's wrong in the current political climate, um, but I'm kind of a policy nerd, too. So I understand both sides of that that equation for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with the current political climate, but I will say, Dad, if you're listening, how many of our conversations revolve around politics and policy? Many of them, and they are (laughs) highly enjoyable. (laughs) So yeah, so my husband and I moved to Colorado in 2015 after I graduated. Um, I had a job with Cargill. Um, as a dairy consultant, and Jimmy um, found a job as an agriculture educator at a high school near here. Um, That's what he has his degree in. 
And um, my time with Cargill didn't last very long. There was a misalignment on communication and goals, and um, it was time for us to part ways. So um, I have done a few different things since then, but uh, where value comes into the picture, um, as we've told you guys before, we met at Ag Professionals. Val had been there for a few years uh, working as an engineering um, apprentice, or what were you? LEP, engineering and training. That's what you were. <laughs> Um, and I came on board at AgPro to provide um, assistance on environmental regulation and management for large dairies and feedlots, um, which basically means I was a ship manager. <laughs> we had a lot of shitty um, jokes. We had a lot of shitty jokes. It's true. My job was literally shit. <laughs> <laughs> I had literal adventures and shit. And we have we have some funny stories to tell that way. But um, anyway, so yeah, I um, had some really good years at AgPro. Val and I got to be really, really good friends. We uh, kickstarted this podcast. Um, you know that history from last week with Valine's interview. And my most recent gig is I work for a dairy activity monitoring company. If you want to know more about that, go back and listen to my episode at the beginning of the year about my trip to Scotland. Uh, but a brief overview is that I essentially sell and do account management for um, Fitbits for dairy cows. <laughs> so um, the three main things that we're tracking with that is um, heat activity. So to decide when to breed a cow, um, her lameness activity and monitoring. So to find out when she goes lame and if we can catch it earlier. And then also her lying time, which, you know, how long she stands up and how long she stands, stands down, how long she lays down. Um, and, and uh, what that might be telling us a change in her behavior, whether she's getting sick, if she's in heat, something like that. So anyway, um, I sell those. I am the main person in the United States. I am one of 1.5 people. So I am the U.S. sales lead and responsible for account management for, um, six dairies and that's about 13,000 cows. So, um, that's what I do in my daily, daily professional life. <laughs> well, what do you do in your daily, um, fun life or personal life? Yeah. So, um, my husband and I and our little girl live um, in Northeastern Colorado on about five acres, just South of a little town that has really, really good pizza. Um, my husband is an ag educator at the local high school. Um, High school is about six minutes from our house, so it's a really easy commute, and he's at a fantastic chapter. Um, yeah, we have an 18, 19-month-old, she's a little girl. Her name is Harper. Um, she is the light of our lives. She is a firecracker. Um, she has a lot to say, and she is very, very busy running around the house. Um, she's still crawling, but running around the house, uh, getting into the dog food, getting into the trash. Um you know, really, wherever she can find some trouble, she's for it. So, <laughs> well, that's um, what yeah. they—that's what they do at that age, though—is uh, just <clears throat> just go, 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 go. <laughs> exactly it. That's exactly it, and it's super cool. Um, you know, being a parent is—it wasn't something I was super sure about, but it just gets better every day. We really love it. So, yeah, we have Harper. Um. We have Ace as a mini Australian Shepherd and three cats who um, range between the neighborhood bullies and just your run-of-the-mill jerk cats. <laughs> um, 
yeah, yeah, we live on some nice acreage. We've got enough room to ourselves to to make these two farm kids happy. Um, you know, the neighbors are about a half a mile away and it's still too close, but we'll take what we can get in this housing market. Um, for fun, I I am an amateur cheesemaker. Um, I started that about two years ago and just trying to learn how to make cheese. I sort of play mad scientist. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it just, uh, maybe we should do an episode on that and can nerd out about cheese making. <laughs> As long as you can bring me some to eat while we do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I brought some to your uh, bachelorette party last fall, and I don't know if everyone's being nice or not, but they said they enjoyed it. So, <laughs> yeah. So next on my cheese making list is brie. I'm going to give brie a shot. So, ooh, yum. How yeah, long does it should... take for brie to to develop? Yeah, so you do the first make and then you have to babysit it for 10 days to two weeks um, to let the mold on the outside develop correctly. And by babysit, I mean flipping between once and three times a day, flipping the actual cheese, um, making sure that it's in the right temperature environment for the right kinds of mold to develop and making sure it's not too moist to develop the wrong kinds of mold and not, um, not too dry to make sure that the mold does develop. So um, you get that, that, you know, that rind on brie, um, that actually is mold. Um, it, it's fine. You can eat it. People have been doing it for thousands of years. Um, but then it probably takes about three more weeks after that to get to a young brie and um, longer to get to a nice gooey, really mature brie. So yeah, it's going to be an adventure. I haven't done one that I have to babysit that much. So. Well, and you're going to have to be home for two weeks too, to do it. <laughs> Exactly. This might be a bit of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it'll be good. So one question I have for you, Catherine, is um, as a young mom and a new mom, what has been, um, especially in agriculture and as a working mom, what has been one thing you've really enjoyed and then one struggle you have also, you know, had to had to work through? Yeah, for sure. That's sort of a loaded question because it's it's hard to pick one. It's hard to pick one joy and it's hard to pick one thing that's difficult. Um, I mean, the, the biggest joy is just having Harper. Um, you know, it was, it was a long, hard slog to get her here. Um, and, and delivery was very, very difficult for both of us. Um, but we came through it, we recovered well. And I mean, she's just taken off like a rocket since then. Um, it's amazing to see her develop and grow every day. You know, things really do change day by day. Um, and every second, those beautiful, bright little eyes are open. She is learning and processing and just taking in her world. Um, and watching her pure joy and delight in the world. I mean, just opening a cupboard for the first time. Or lately, she's been playing with the spigot in the bath, you know, trying to figure out how that works. It's just astonishing. And it's it's such a good reminder to me to slow down and enjoy every single thing, whether it's small or whether it's big. Um, and just, uh, you know, just take it in that, you know, this is one life. That's all we get. And, um, you know, a really good reminder to take back that childlike wonder. Um, and I probably sound ooey gooey right now, but that has been, I mean, that's, that's our biggest blessing and something that Harper teaches us every day. And we need a reminder of every single day. Um, so I tell you that's that's the big joy. Um, and she's just fun. I mean, she giggles. She loves to be chucked in the air. And I mean, chucked like thrown right up. <laughs> 
Um, she loves to swing. She loves to hang out in her in her wagon and be trucked around the property. Um, she's just fun. Um, and then, you know, a, a, a struggle. I mean, there's a few of them, but the one that I really struggle with right now is um, balancing work and home. And I've come to learn that there is no balance. Hopefully there's harmony, but <laughs> there is no balance. Um, you know, I, I work from home. I'm often out on farms, but I, my office is in my house and, um, I try my best to have all of my stuff done by the time Harper and Jimmy get home, usually around four o'clock. Um, but sometimes it's just not like that. Or sometimes I'm like, you know, all this will take 15 minutes. And then I've been at the computer for two hours and, um, you know, Harper goes to daycare about seven 30 in the morning and comes home between three and four. Bedtime's at seven. Um, so that's not a whole lot of time to spend with our girl. And that needs to be my first priority. That's very much what I want my first priority to be is time with my family. And so, you know, work, that work-life balance and the boundaries are hard to draw. Um, but it's something that I'm really trying hard to work on because, um, you know, we get one chance to raise this little girl and one chance to be married to the whole of my life. And, you know, we want to do it right. So, so that's probably the biggest challenge right now. Um, you know, you and I have talked in the past about glass balls and rubber balls and deciding in your life and, you know, which, which things and activities in your life are rubber balls and can be dropped and which ones are glass balls and cannot be dropped. Um, and my family and family time is definitely a glass ball. And I have definitely struggled on ensuring that it is a glass ball. <laughs> um, and that's, it's so much easier said than done too, because what's, um, what's pressing here and now, or somebody, um, you know, needing something, it's easier to just react to it rather than turning off the phone and saying, nope, you can wait till tomorrow. You know, like sometimes there's some power in doing that. There absolutely is. Um, you know, I'm super slow in getting on this bandwagon, but turning on do not disturb on my phone has been like the best discovery. <laughs> um, you know, unless there's a literal fire, I don't want to hear about it after five o'clock. Um, yeah, I, you know, we've talked about this before, but we are so damn connected um, in this day and age. You know, I have email and work chat on my phone. Um, you know, clients can reach me besides all the personal stuff, you know, on my phone. And it's just so easy to get caught up and, oh, I'll just check this quick. And again, before you know it, you zoned out on your phone and, you know, you haven't talked to your husband or wife in an hour or two and you don't get very much time at night. So yeah, regaining that focus and like trying to, trying to make my phone a tool that serves me and me not serving it. Um, I am by no means perfect at it yet, but trying to figure out the tips and tricks to to sort of hack that out. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act or a boundary boundary practice maybe is a better term term for it, but, um, yeah, using it. I think that's a good, I like that. It's a tool. It's not a, and it can be used or not used, you know, it doesn't need to always be, be in action. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And not everybody deserves an immediate response. <laughs> and that's not out of disrespect, but it's just a boundary or it isn't pressing like it's, and it's setting those 
those expectations of, you know, as long as I respond within 24 hours, you know, or um, this was after hours, I'll get to it by noon tomorrow or, you know, something like that rather. And, and being responsive, you know, there's, there's customer service and blah, 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 but there's also, yeah, not making, I guess just setting boundaries and letting people know where they're at too. You know, it's as long as you, you let people know where they're at, then there's no, no harm in saying, I'll get to you tomorrow. Like I'll give you a call back tomorrow is, is a complete, a complete sentence. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, my, my mom has told me that she said, no, is a complete sentence. You don't, you don't owe anyone an explanation. You don't have to excuse yourself. You don't have to justify whatever you're doing. Um, you know, like people don't have to know everything and, and not everybody needs to be responded to immediately. And like you say, I don't mean that out of disrespect, at least not, you know, not personally for the person on the other end, but it is out of respect for myself, my life and my family. And it's giving yourself energy tomorrow to be able to tackle it too. That's what I've found. Like, as long as I can chunk it, I'm a little better than if I try to do it all in one day too. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm going to throw, um, the same question you asked at me, um, because I really liked it, but what, what in agriculture fires you up and, um, yeah, let's start with that one. What in agriculture fires you up and gives you, gives you the spark to continue to want to be in agriculture day in and day out? Sure. So that, I mean, it's such a great question. And, you know, I think like you will have a cliche answer and then personally what my sparks are. Um, I was born into ag and specifically into dairying and I have never known anything different and I don't want to know anything different. Ag is my home. It's where I live. Um, and that's where I want to live for the rest of my life. That's the legacy I hope to pass on to my children. Um, you know, if they would like to be part of it as well. Um, my husband comes from ag, both sides of our family are in ag. Um, and it's just, it's an astonishing place to be. It's exciting. There's, there's growth, there's opportunity, there's variation, there's, you know, the entire spectrum of production to processing, to marketing, to consumers. Um, you know, there, there's crops, there's livestock, there's specialty stuff, there's fishing, there's trees, there's grapes, you know, all of it, it, it just runs the gamut. And there, there is absolutely no opportunity to be bored in agriculture. And I love that. And there's always something to capture your attention and you can be as broad as you want or as specialized as you want. And I'm fortunate to have been able to stay in the dairy industry and, and also have, and also be adjacent to other parts of agriculture to broaden my perspective. Um, I believe that being well-rounded um, is just a, you know, it's nothing but a benefit to, to yourself and to anybody around you. Um, so yeah, I was born into it and I love it. You know, I, what I have discovered through the years, and this is just my own experience, but when you're born into ag, you either love it and you're going to stay there the rest of your life or you hate it and you can't get, wait to get away. Um, and I am so, so, so lucky that, uh, that I love it <laughs> and lucky that my family loves it too and that they are all immediately involved in agriculture in some way, shape or form. Um. 
so that's, you know, like that's the, the background spark. <laughs> and then what keeps me going now is, well, I guess again, is the opportunity. And it's also, you know, there's so many big challenges and issues to address in agriculture. Um, a lot of them we talk about on the podcast and a lot of them do revolve around policy, um, ag labor and immigration, um, you know, uh, being paid a fair price for our products, um, ensuring that we are treated fairly um, on the social side, you know, especially by activist groups, um, whatever form they may take, whether it's environmental, whether it's consumer, um, you know, whether it's uh, the inputs that we use, for example, uh, GMOs or antibiotics or something like that. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of challenges that that are out there that need to be addressed. And I don't mean challenges in a negative way. Um, they are very challenging <laughs> and they're, they're critical for sure. But I think the exciting thing for me that lights me up is the opportunity to improve um, all along that spectrum that I talked about, production, processing, marketing, consumers, um, all of those things. And especially within agriculture, um, industry facing industry, you know, we we are really, really good at talking to ourselves and championing ourselves and, you know, uh, talking ourselves up between each other. And we are not great at communicating what we do, how we do and why we do it back to the people who matter, which are the people who buy our products day in and day out. And the people who don't have a choice but to buy our products because everybody got to eat, um, you know, and so I think that the relationship there. Um, I don't know if it's broken, but there's definitely misalignment on um, on the communication that takes place. I think we probably all have close to the same goals, you know, between production agriculturists and um, consumers and and marketing departments for large food companies, especially, you know, um, it seems like they hand stuff down from on high, you know, demanding that agriculture operates in a certain way and maybe don't know what they're asking or um, you know, even why they're asking it. And so I think that developing relationships all along that value chain um, is an incredibly important thing to start doing. And I think that developing those relationships is where it starts to address a lot of these problems. Um, you know, I feel like farmers have probably given away a lot of their voice, whether by choice or by chance. Um, we've talked about it before. A lot of production agriculturists don't want to be on the public relations side. You know, they want to, they want to milk their cows. They want to plow their fields. They want to calf their babies out. Um, and they just don't have a whole lot of interest. And so, um, you know, that messaging has been delegated to industry groups or, you know, other, or by, um, what do you call it? By uh, check off maybe, or off checkoff is what I'm thinking of but also by attrition that's what I'm saying to um you know to outside groups you know they we haven't we haven't spoken up and so these other groups not check off but like I mean like outside maybe activist groups have spoken up and started telling a story that is contrary to our own and we haven't been able to combat it and to go back to the checkoff groups I am not denigrating them at all um they have done some phenomenal work there are really 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 good people who work there um, I've met them, I'm friends with them. Um, but I do think that uh, maybe a shift in messaging or target audiences might be needed, you know, to um, to sort of address the current issues. You know, I feel like in agriculture, whether it's production, whether it's promotion, 
um, marketing, you know, it seems like we're always five or 10 years behind the eight ball and catching on what the public is up to. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're slow to it, slow to adapt. I don't, I don't know if that's right. Like within production, I don't know if that's right, but within our relationships outside of agriculture, it seems like we're slow to adapt and slow to adopt. Um, and, you know, I just think that these are things that, uh, they're challenges and they need to be addressed. They're uncomfortable. It's not necessarily fun, you know? Um, and it, I don't, I don't think that putting on every production agriculturist, putting them on and saying, you need to tell your story and you got to educate, you need to have a Facebook page. I don't think that's fair. And I don't think it's going to work. Um, but I do think that we need voices in the industry. I hope like what you and I are doing, um, to know the message that needs to be spread and act as really effective um, communicators and conduits between um, production ag and other stakeholders out there. You know, whether that's a food company, um, a marketing agency, policymakers, uh, regulators, and consumers, especially. Um, you know, the people who buy our product. That's that's the very most important thing. And um, you know, this is this is like a big ball of wax and it's really lumpy. Like there's, there's no, there's no straight answer. There's no right answer. Um, you know, it'll take, it'll take a multi-pronged approach to address all of these things. But I think, you know, to go back to um, voices of ag, there are some really great ag influencers out there, but it seems like for the most part, they're turned in towards the the industry and championing what we do and bar rad cheerleader and there's nothing wrong with that but i think that um oh they're um gosh i'm not trying to be controversial or rude here just you know their their influence um might be um not as influential as what their follower numbers might might say, um, or at least influential facing outwards outside of our industry. And I think that's where it really, really matters these days is trying to um, reach out a hand to the people outside of our industry, because, you know, we harp about this all the time. It's only 2% of us who do this. So we have a very, very small fraction of the population um, trying to speak and share, share our goals and our hows and whys um, with a much larger population. And you know, um, division is easily sown um, and harder to harder to uh, correct, I think. And we need to stay strong from within and stop tearing each other down. Um, we need to uh, humble ourselves a little bit, in my opinion. Um, you know, I have seen a lot of things on social media lately and by no means for the first time making fun of outside stakeholders, especially consumers, or making fun of people from another part of agriculture for not knowing what you do, um, not knowing how you do it, not knowing what you know. And pardon the French, but that's bullshit. You know, um, it's not fair. It's not nice. It's unnecessary. We don't need, we don't need any more division. Um, and you can just get off your high horse and be a little bit humble and try to make friends you know, um, learn from other people because we always have something to learn from somebody else far more than what I can come up with in my own little mind. <laughs> well, and I think, I mean, social media is a great place to get 
get in fights fast and defend your values here and quit and not listen to anything else. And I, you know, I just think back to our one tweet that has blown up, which is still astonishing <laughs> to me. Um, Cause it was, it was, it was slightly controversial and um, you know, you get, you get a couple people that are hundred percent right all the time and trying to, I felt like we did. And again, I'm bragging about us, but trying to, to not get into a fight, but acknowledge where they come from, try to understand their point of view and then say, and not, and not get in that banter back and forth of nasty. Like we can agree to disagree in it, but I think when you start taking it personal or giving personal attacks, that's when it, that's where politics gets nasty. And I think that's where agriculture can get nasty against itself too, is you've got the you get the RCAFers versus the NCBAers, you know, and they're going to, they're at each other's throat all the time. You get the beef versus the dairy occasionally. You get the conventional versus regenerative. You get, you know, you get this gamut and, and we just, we're all, yeah, we just, we're not very nice to each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. And we were all taught growing up the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. way too easy to forget that, especially when you get in your own head, your own biases, your own emotions, you know, in the heat of the moment, you just pop back with, with a jerk comment to a jerk comment. Um, you know, it goes back to what you said last week, which has stuck with me since last week, but, you know, there's plenty to disagree with on policy or, or stances of politicians. And I think, like you said, this, this spills over into ag or just humans in general. Um, but we actually wrote it down. It's right here on my sticky note. Don't dehumanize anyone for any reason. Um, and I think that's exactly right. It's way too easy to do it behind a screen, um, you know, and, and vent your anger out and, you know, whatever you might be feeling at the time, but it's not constructive. Um, and I'm just as guilty as anyone. I've done it before. I'll probably do it again, but I am trying to be mindful of it, um, to, you know, to, try and, you know, try and rise above. Um, it's impossible to do all the time, but, you know, to elevate my mindset and um, bring more peace to me and the people around me. Um, yeah. Save my energy. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, and I don't, I have, I have a quick example of that that happened to me yesterday that I didn't even think about until I hung up the phone. Um, but my, my coach's name is Debbie. Um, and I was, I was going off on something and I said something about, I just don't want to be a Debbie Downer. And I went off and it took me after I said it, it kind of stung. And then I, I called or I texted her and I said, I'm sorry. I said, I, I don't think you're a downer. You're Debbie and you're not a downer, but, but even those names are calling people, oh, you're a Karen. Well, I know quite a few Karens in my life that aren't aren't mean. And like, there's one of them that's a school counselor. And she goes, I hate it when people say things about Karens and you don't, it's a stereotype and it's, but it goes back to the racism or the humanization or whatever, you know, you put, you put a name or something on anybody and it, um, it can truly, truly spark, um, a negative thought in their head too. And so it's just trying to like you need to rant and and knowing your safe space to do that too because there's a time and a place to say I'm frustrated with this person for this reason and I just need to get it out so I don't snap at them um 
is also real, but I think it's, it's just being mindful of how we speak, how we speak of ourselves and how we speak of others too, in a public sense, because it's, I think it says a lot about who we are. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it tells people exactly who you are and it probably tells people uncomfortable things about yourself that maybe you don't necessarily like about yourself. Uh, that's that's been my personal experiences with those types of situations. Like me personally, that's how I feel. My like, God, oh, crap! Did I really come over that way? <laughs> nope. Yeah. Okay. So, what? Go ahead. No, just just trying to be a better citizen, you know. And I don't necessarily even mean like with regards to our American rights, like just a better, better human citizen, you know. <laughs> Well, and maybe a better neighbor, you know, if we're going back to a Christian definition, you know, just a a better neighbor too. Yeah, exactly. There's enough strife and heartache and, and crap in this world. Um, and it's way too easy to focus on it again with our phones, you know, algorithms pop up the sensational stuff. It just, uh, it just saps your energy, you know? Uh, and there's more than enough, more than enough stuff to take up your energy, work, home, and all the stuff that goes on in between, um, you know, protecting it is a hard thing, but necessary um, to sort of go back to the work-life, not balance, <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, in my last answer, I got pretty long and rambly, but uh, that's, that's what drives me every day. I think that there is so much exciting and important work to be done with culture. Beyond just producing food for people, which obviously is um, priority number one (laughs) and the most important thing we all got to eat. And I mean, I enjoy eating. I love that there's so many options, Um, but there's so much work to be done within ag to improve, you know, um, really improve our our public standing, our standing with each other. Um, And again, being a good neighbor, you know, there are good neighbors out there. There's lots of good actors. There's always room for improvement. Yep. No, and I think for me, if improvement is where fun happens too, like it makes you uncomfortable, but that's where growth growth happens. And if we're if we're done growing and improving, we're dying, is my opinion. <laughs> my dad said that if you're not growing, you're dying. <laughs> so and then I guess to finish finish us off, Catherine, why? Why millennial ag for you? Why do you continue to to show up every week with me to um to ramble for forty five minutes to an hour? <laughs> well, I continue to show up every week with you because I love you and I think you're freaking awesome. <laughs> uh, millennial ag, why? So, Listeners, in case you haven't heard the origin story, uh, Millennial Ag started out as a blog for a college project for me. Um, I started, you know, I had to do some mandatory blog posts and I've always enjoyed writing. And so I kind of kept it going, Um, you know, sporadic here and there. Usually when something ticked me off, I'd write. (laughs) And that's where the spark for most of my my ramblings come from. But I try to I try to let the ticked offness come through and then not come through in the writing, but like what it it sit with me and then let it go and then and then write um what it sparked so I kept it going um and you know had always wanted to make it sort of a little more professional and and have a wider reach never really knew how to do that never really spent a lot of time on it because I never thought it would be a money maker 
um, which is not necessarily a reason to do something. It's definitely a hobby and that's perfectly fine to do something that you like because you like it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so um, Valine and I met in 2017 and I mean, almost from the day we met, um, we talked about everything ranging far and wide um, all around life, personal, professional, um, hobbies, uh, husbands, boyfriends, friends, coworkers, everything, um, all the way around, uh, especially about agriculture though. And I mean, I feel like I found an agriculture soulmate in New Valley because we, we agree on a lot of things, um, which, you know, we don't often have a lot of contention, but the agreements that we have are spitballing each other off of off of um, different topics and, and things that we see should be fixed or improved or, or we give each other a lot of food for thought too. You know, we always say we come from different backgrounds, your beef, I'm dairy, and those sectors aren't always known for getting along. Um, but anyway, to go back to Millennial Lag, <laughs> we decided to start a podcast um, and we just decided to wrap it up with my blog. We came up with the name Millennial Ag. Um, you know, that was towards the tail end of everybody ragging on millennials. Now it's Gen Z, but uh, we are millennials. We're in ag. We love ag. And um, that just sort of expressed who we are and um, the perspective and lens that we look at things through. And, uh, you know, we had, some, we had we we're pretty um, ambitious at the first, you know, putting out a podcast episode every week is no errand for the faint of heart. Um but you and I have learned so much together, grown so much together, had some incredible guests, some awesome, really fun series, and some cool opportunities thrown our way because of Millennial Ag. And, you know, it's, it's put ourselves out there in really uncomfortable ways um, and really fun ways. And I think it's such a good, it's fun. I mean, I guess the number one reason is it's fun. It's fun. I get to do it with someone I love deeply. Um and I think that our work is important. I think that we're really drilling down into what our mission is and what we're trying to do with Millennial Act, pulling back the cover on uncomfortable topics, on topics that just get lip service, um, topics that are talked around, um, and trying to dig down into some answers and some actions that we can take to try and address those things. And yeah, just personal growth. I mean, so much has come out of this. Um, the willingness to get uncomfortable, the willingness to reach out and say, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? <laughs> you know, getting people on that we disagree with, that's that's always hella uncomfortable. Um, but nothing we've done in Millennial Ag has been a bad experience. Some of them have been more growth oriented than others, but it's fun. It's always thought provoking and just really enjoy it. No, and I think... I think having that fun component and removing the pressure of, of having to do it, like we get to do it, you know? And I think that's how, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but for me, it's, I always told myself, especially since we weren't making money, um, it's a, if it went from, I get to do this, do I have to do this? that's when I needed to check myself, you know, or check what we were doing because it, it, it is a hobby and, and it does take some time and it takes some energy. And there's, there's some things we obviously don't like to do, you know, the tediousness of sometimes editing or uploading or social media, you know, the, the content, the, the content creating is fun, but some of that management, but um, I think the fun components 
far outweighs any of those. And um, I appreciate you for bringing that up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying um, as long as we say we get to do it, it's awesome. And the moment we start saying we have to do it, then we need to check ourselves and reevaluate um, because I, it is an important part of both of our lives. And like you said last week, it keeps us intentionally connected. Um, we're best friends. We love each other so much in common, so much we always want to talk about, but we live in different states. Things are, things are different than they were three or four years ago. And um, it's good to have, you know, intentional commitments to each other to to be able to see each other's beautiful faces <laughs> or you're <Yes>. beautiful. <laughs> no, yours is beautiful too, Catherine. Oh. <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you for um, a great episode and for letting us dive into to you this week. Um, I'm going to, do you have any words of wisdom, closing thoughts before we leave listeners for this week? Just, I love agriculture and I am so incredibly blessed, lucky and grateful to be in it. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Catherine. And we thank you listeners for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, we want to hear from you. You can um, email us at talk to us at millennialag.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next week, we are Millennial Ag. Mm-hmm.